You're listening to a podcast of This Positive Life, the Body.com's growing collection of first-person stories from people living with HIV. This is Olivia Ford reporting for The Body. I'm here today with Jose Ramirez, who's been living with HIV since 2000. Jose is an HIV prevention activist. He lives in Washington, D.C., and he was also recently featured in the film The Other City. Jose, welcome to This Positive Life. Hello, hello, hello. (laughs) Welcome. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Can you start by describing how you found out that you were HIV positive and tell us what year that was and just where you were in your life? I found out at the end of my junior year going into my senior year, so it was like in 2000. The guy that I was dating at that time and also who I called boyfriend slash sugar daddy, I had found out that he was actually HIV positive and was sick through a friend of his that made me want to go get tested for HIV. So I was like 17 years old, so still in high school, still a teenager, crazy teenager, you know. How did he come to be your sugar daddy? How old was this guy, and what was your relationship like? He was like in his late 30s. At that time, I started going to the clubs, the gay clubs, because I came out when I was 15, so I wanted to explore more and see what was going on. So I started going to the gay clubs and um, met him there. When you're young, for some reason, you you look for older men, especially men that you know that might take care of you so we just started talking and coming to my situation coming from a broken home living with my mom and also my stepfather but my stepfather was really big time alcoholic so there was a lot of times money was spent on alcohol and basically we were always struggling and i guess he saw that and we just started talking and eventually we ended up dating it's not like I asked him to become my sugar daddy. It just happened. He was like, I'll pay for this, I'll pay for this. I mean, I was still working, but since I was helping my family out, I needed more money for other things as well. He basically took care of me and a lot of my habits or, like, things that I needed. How did you come to get tested? Where did you go, and did you go with anybody? Or did you just um, go by yourself? It's funny. I was out one night at a club that I would go to, and his friend actually was a bartender there. And Joey had left. I hadn't seen him for a while, and we had a conversation prior to that, and I knew he was sick, but he always told me he had diabetes, and he was sick of that. But we had talked like everything was normal, and then I didn't hear from him, and then so one night I went out, and I was asked his friend what was up, and he just looked at me like, with a white face, like almost like, oh my gosh. I was like, what's up with Joey? He was like, where he's real sick? And I was like, well, how come he call me? And he just looked at me, he's like, do you know what's going on with him? And I was like, yeah, I know his diabetes is really bad. And he just looked down, he was like, no. He was like, actually, he has a full-blown AIDS now. And I was like, what? And I just looked at him. And so it was like, it just hit me, and I decided to get tested at my school. They had a wellness center, basically like a clinic within the, the school. And got tested there, and at first the test had come back negative, and then I had told the person who had tested me what was the situation, and she told me to come back, and they had come back positive the second time. This is at your school's wellness center? Yeah. Was it, it was the school n- nurse who was testing you, or who was the person who was doing the testing? Yeah, it was, um, there was always a nurse there, and there was always a doctor, too, from Duke University. Her name was Miss Sally. She was the one who did it. And, yeah, she tested me. And she was the one who told you that you were HIV positive? Yeah, yeah. 
What did you think and how did you feel when you heard that? It's funny because when she told me, I felt shocked and confused. And I remember she asked me, she's like, do you want to talk about it? And I was like, no. I was like, I didn't really want to talk to her about it. I went back to class because I remember it was during my culinary arts class where they had called me up to go to see the nurse. And I just went back to class for another 30 minutes and then I decided to leave because it was starting to hit me. It was a whole bunch of feelings from mad to confused to why. And I remember going home and just being really confused, like, what the hell? This person was supposed to care about me and, and take care of me, and here I was with HIV. But I think I was, like, in griefing mode for about two weeks, and then I just snapped out of it. I was like, I can either stay here and cry about it, or I can, like, actually do something and make my life better and just help other people and talk about it and not be afraid. I think I've always been like that. Like, I had my moment, and then I was like, fuck it. I'm going to do me, and I'm not going to let this stuff beat me. Plus, I have gone through so much already in life that I was like, this is just, like, another thing that was helping me be stronger and helping me look at things different, look at the world different, and be more appreciative. And So you started to feel that within a few weeks of being diagnosed. Yeah, it's like, because I, I honestly feel like the other things that had happened to me in life weren't as worse as being HIV positive, being raped, living on the streets. Like, I had already gone through so much stuff that it was something just adding on the plate that I needed to learn how to deal with and become a, a better survivor. Can you talk a little bit about the things that had happened to you in your life up until that moment? Growing up, I was in and out of living with my mom and my dad. I was in a boarding school for a while when I was younger, and that's where I was raped the first time. How old were you? Oh, I'm going to say, like seven or eight. Where was the boarding school? It was in Kentucky. How long were I you in Kentucky? It was, we were there for a while because my mom had to put us there just because she couldn't take us care of us anymore. And so she found out about this place through a friend and we ended up being there. But my father found out and then he didn't like the fact so he came and got us. Where was your and dad living at the time? And Herndon, Virginia. And who was us? Did you have brothers and sisters at me the school brother, too? Yeah, me and my other brother. How old was your brother? I was probably like eight, and Jimmy was five or six. We were really young. I remember being really young. And I remember we were separate because the older boys were in another place and the younger people were in another place. And my, me and my little brother used to sneak away when they, we had like little outings or we could go out, out because we never got to see each other. So we would sneak to see each other and just to hang out for a little bit and then go back. But we always got in trouble for doing that. So It was hard, one, living with all these people that you don't know, they used to hit us, too, in the school. They used to hit, hit us with the paddle. I remember I used to be like a joker, and I still am a joker, so I used to joke around a lot, play around a lot. So I used to get disciplined in the last. It would be nights where I couldn't fall asleep, but I just would stay up and talk to people, and I would get in trouble, and they used to make me stand in the corner, like, for hours. So, yeah, that was kind of traumatizing, too, just having to, having to like, live with all these people and having all these grown-ups you don't know tell you what to do, hitting you, and all that kind of stuff. And you were very young, like you said, as well. Who was the person who abused you? Who was it who actually raped you? One of the janitor people, and he, I remember, he, and it was funny because he used to do it to me and other people, but I didn't really find out about the other people after I actually spoke to one of the, there was like three of us in one room, and I had talked to one of my other friends and had mentioned it to him, and he was like, yeah, he does the same thing to me.
I knew I wasn't alone. Did he ever get in trouble for it? I don't know. I don't know. I, I never said anything, and I haven't said any. You know, I never went back. That was that point, and then also being raped by one of my mom's boyfriends as well was more traumatizing. How old were you at that time? I think I was like nine. So this was after you had come out of Mountain Mission, and your father. Yeah, had come it was and like during you. the time because sometimes we would leave too. Sometimes they would leave with our mom because they were able to come and pick us up, so we would have weekend trips. So I remember going to places, and he he was with my mom at the time. So yeah. And you never told your mom? No, I never told her. I have, still haven't told her. At this point, I'm over it. Like, it happened, and it was something that happened in my life. And luckily, I've been able to deal with it. I've worked at the Rape Crisis Center in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I was an advocate for rape victims. So, you know, I basically, when someone came in raped, I would talk to the family, help out with the reports and all that stuff, talk to the victim, help out the victim. So all that stuff has helped me. It helps me not to keep it inside like I know a lot of people do. and I keep other things inside, but things like that, I feel like there's so many people who don't speak about it that if one person can, it, that makes some kind of a change. You know, that helps someone else. Yeah, and it helps. I mean, I know a lot of people are like, you're crazy, you have to talk about all that stuff, you know. But I'm like, why would I hide it? It's stuff that happens to a lot of people, and a lot of people can't talk about it. And once you hear someone else talk about it, you're like, okay, I'm not alone, okay, I see, you know. So in some kind of form, it helps. The boyfriend of your mother's who raped you, is she still with him, or is he somebody she was with for a short no, time? No, he's not. They're not together. How long was she with him? She was with him probably for about two or three years. I remember seeing him a lot um, while I was little, but they weren't together for a long time. Do you think that you'll ever tell her what happened? No, nah, I don't want to. I think it's too much for my mom, and I don't think she can handle it. My mom has gone through a lot, so I just don't want to add on more to her play. I can deal with the situation. And I've dealt with this so far. What he did to me, um, it, it was something he did, and he'll pay back for it. My thing is you have to forgive people, and a lot of people don't know how to forgive. I'm just, I forgive and I move on because I feel like if I get stuck in one place, I'm not going to move on, and it's not going to help me at all. So I prefer just to be like, okay, it happened. Let me see what the positive things I can do out of it and the positive things are that you know I talk to people I help people and that helps me so that's like my therapy going back to right before you were diagnosed with HIV what did you know about HIV at the time I think like a lot of young people I had the information I knew what HIV and AIDS was I knew how you could get it but it was when you're a young person and you um, fall in love and you are put in a situation where you're more like in survival mode, you don't really think about that stuff. You think, okay, this person loves me, and if anything's up, they'll tell me. Uh, and I knew every time we had unprotected sex that I was at risk, and I thought about it too. But I was just like, no, nah, there's no way he's positive. He doesn't look sick. He would have told me. Do you think that there's anything that could have happened in your life at that time that would have put you in less of a position to be at risk? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Having a stronger family. Uh, my father wasn't ever ar really around my life. And just up to recently, I've always looked for that father figure or someone. Who, and I feel like if my father was there, and also for my mom, too, like just being more parents. But I understand, like, and what happens nowadays is that you have a lot of parents who are immigrants, so they're always working, so there's really no time for the family, there's really no time to sit down and talk. So I had the lack of that, and my mom would never sit down to me and, and talk to me about sex or anything like that. So I think that would have helped out a little bit, but just really having a really strong, supportive family 
which unfortunately a lot of young immigrants don't really hard. The guy that ended up giving you HIV, was he the first man that you had been with? I had had a boyfriend before. He was just the first sugar daddy I had. Did you ever talk to him after you found out that you were HIV positive? I saw him like something afterwards and I was just like, whatever. But no, I, we never had a conversation. He's dead now. He had died. How did you find out that he died? His friend had told me. How long after you're being diagnosed did you find out that he had died? Maybe a year or so after. How did you feel knowing that he died? I just felt sad. I, I just figured that if he was really sick, he was a better in a better place, so he wasn't suffering anymore. Who was the first person that you told that you had HIV? My family, actually. The school had set up a meeting with my mom. My mom was the one I told, and my brothers. We were on the circle, and the doctor was there, and I told my, my mom that I was positive. How did she react? She was shocked and sad and really worried because, you know, my mom has lupus. She was so her thing was like, I'm really sick. Who's going to take care of you if you're going to get sick? And I was like, that's not going to happen. Don't worry, I'll be all right. When you said that you knew that you were going to be all right, did you feel that as well, or were you saying it more to comfort your mom? Both, both. I was still confused, but I knew I was going to be all right. Who else in your family was there at this meeting at school? My brothers. How so many my, brothers? My brother Jimmy, and he... He's like two years younger than me. And then my little brother, but my little brother was eight. Did they know what HIV was when they heard this? No, no, they didn't really know what it was. I had to explain it to them. And I still do. We had to talk about using razors and toothbrushes and all that kind of stuff. Doctor wanted me to let them know, you know, because we were all boys, that we shouldn't use our, the same razors and the same toothbrushes because of the blood and possibly transmission of the virus. If I got a cut, what to watch out for, and all that kind of stuff. Basically, the things you need to tell family about when you're positive, you know, things that they need to know. How soon after that did you start telling other people? Then I told my best friend, Jasenia, and I told her inside the senior lounge, I remember, with another nurse there. I think maybe a couple of days after I told my family, I started telling people that I trusted. Well, how did your friend react? She was shocked but then she was like i'm gonna support you she was the one actually in the film she was really supportive and she's always been really supportive i think we support each other a lot and so she's always been there it sounds like you had a lot of support from people at your high school where were you living and where was your high school at this time uh, my high school was in durham north carolina it was southern durham high did you feel really supported by the people like the nurse and the people around you or was it were mm -hmm. they just sort of doing their job I felt supported. I knew they were supporting me, and so I felt good about that. Nowadays, how do you decide whether you're going to tell somebody that you have HIV? I just tell everybody. It's part of me. It's like, hi, my name's Jose. I'm HIV positive, and because of my tattoo on the side of my neck, so people are like, what's up with the red ribbon? And I'm like, oh, it's the HIV AIDS. And they're like, why do you have that? And I'm like, oh, because I'm positive. When did you get the tattoo? In 2007, I think it was. Have your family and friendship relationships changed at all since you told them that you were positive? Family's like supportive. They ask questions. They they support me, and that's. They, it's like we really don't talk about it. It's kind of funny. They know it's there. They know that I'm positive. They know that I'm gay, and they know the work that I do. We have little conversations about it, but it's just part of me, so they know. It sounds like you are basically just out as positive to everybody that you know. Have you ever gotten a response where someone was just really super supportive and really just made you feel like it was absolutely the right choice to tell them? I think when I talk to young people, they're like, 
oh, wow, you don't look like you're positive. You look fine. And thank you because that makes me want to think next time I jump into the bed with somebody to really ask questions. Yeah, people are more, like, shocked. I go into how long I've been positive. They're like, wow, that's a long time. And But I think when I do testing, people are, are, are grateful when I tell them because they, when they come out of it, they really think about, okay, maybe next time I jump into bed with someone, I should ask, hey, have you been tested? Are you positive? Have you ever had an STD before? Because I let people know. I'm like, those are things you need to ask people. You need, and I, I told them a lot of times people don't ask people, are you HIV positive? But sometimes people who are positive, if you don't ask, they're not going to tell. And I know that because I have a lot of friends who are like, yeah, I don't tell anybody unless they ask. Maybe if they ask, I probably would tell them. But they don't ask, so that means they don't really care. And I'm like, no, that's not the way it should be. I don't like to argue. I just understand both parties. I'm like, okay. And that's why I always tell people, if you're negative, please, it's important to ask people, are you positive? Have you been tested? Because if you've never been tested, that's a click in your head. Hey, maybe I should be having safe sex with this person because they have never been tested for HIV or STDs. Have you ever told someone you were positive and had them react very negatively to oh, that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Not negatively, but shocked and scared and nervous. Another guy rejecting me, but I can't, I can't deal with that. I can't be with you. Yeah, it hurt, but then I also understand that people have the right to feel how they want to feel, and they probably just don't understand, and if you just educate them a little bit more, they might not change the way they're feeling, but at least they know a little bit more about the virus and how it can be transmitted, and they probably feel a little bit more comfortable. Are you in a relationship now? Yes, I am. How long has that been going on? Two weeks. (laughs) Oh, cool. It's a new one. Yeah, it's a new one, and... He's negative, and and he's a little bit younger than I am. He's 23, so... And it's really funny because he was like, I never really thought I could be with you. He was like, I really was really worried and really scared. And my friends were really worried and really scared for me. But he's like, you know, just talking to you and, you know, listening to you and, you know, you educating me, I feel more comfortable. And I know that as long as we do everything with being safe, that I'm going to be fine. He has a lot of questions, especially when it comes to being intimate, things that we can and can't do. You know, it's a lot of education on my part, which I don't mind. And it's, to me, I see it really cool because he's wanting to know. But also, in a way, like, sometimes I see it as like, yeah, he might be taking a risk because you never know what can happen, you know. There might be a point where we might have unprotected sex because we both feel like it's something we want to do. But that's always putting him at risk, too, for HIV. And I think it happens a lot in, in couples when one is negative and the other one is positive. After you've been with someone for a while, you start loving them, and you your thoughts about that person change. You think you're going to be with that person for a long time. So it's like that risk of HIV is like you don't care because you care so much about this person that you want to be so much part of this person that it's a risk that a lot of people take. And I have these conversations with a lot of my friends who are positive and are in relationships with negative men. And so I know I'm not alone. I know there's a lot of people who have to deal with that. Like, okay, what happens if after three years of being together and we've always used condoms and now we're so to a point where we don't want to use condoms, what are the steps from there? In your experience or in the experience of folks that you've talked to, what are the steps once you get to the point where you're like, we're in a relationship, we want to have unprotected sex? What I happens think it's next? A lot of, you, a lot of communication, a lot, a lot of communication, talking about the risk, getting tested, and just also telling that person, look, this is what I'm going through. This is what I've gone through since I've been positive. 
are you willing to go through this? Are you wanting to go through this? What happens if we break up and you do become positive? Are you going to blame me, or how can I still be a help? So it's, it's very hard, but it's so funny because you have those conversations, but you don't think about it until actually the breakup happens or that other person becomes positive. It's really hard because I know some people are like, but why would you do that? But I feel like unless you've been put in that situation or in that situation, you can really understand. Through your work doing prevention, do you ever talk to veterans, older folks who have been positive for a long time about their thoughts about safe sex? Does it ever seem as if it's a generation thing? I've talked to some older folks who are like, yeah, I understand where you're coming from. Me and my partner went through that or an ex-partner of mine, we went through that. But uh, I think times have changed and HIV and AIDS has changed. You get people who are just shocked and like, why would you put that person in this situation? You know, blah. But if you and that person have that agreement and you are ready to take that step, then I think people should respect that. You can't really change people's decisions. If they're going to do it, they're going to do it. The same way if they're going to have unprotected sex, they're going to have unprotected sex. And like I told people, every time you have unprotected sex, you're taking a risk. And are you willing to deal with the consequences of that risk? And if you are, then don't bitch and complain and don't moan and groan after you find out because you took that risk and you sat down with that person and you knew the consequences. So if you're not willing to deal with those, you shouldn't take that step. You said that times have changed and HIV has changed. How do you think HIV has changed? I think, especially among the young people, it's not out there like back in the days where, you know, I hear stories, oh, you know, my friends were dying left and right like a very traumatic time of HIV and I think HIV now it's like okay you have HIV yeah people are still like a little bit traumatized about it but it's more like what I see when I'm in like oh in the community people are not like oh my god what's wrong with you or I feel like young people know so much about HIV it's boring them it's like yeah whatever they know it's there and they know that you're supposed to use condoms but the thing is I don't think they know how to use condoms properly and they don't know how to really have safe sex that's what it is It should be more about HIV and safe sex. What is safe sex? How do you have safe sex? How do you make a condom more intimate and more sexy? A lot of young people are just like, oh, the condom's boring. But ask my young people, why is it boring? What's so boring about the condom? Well, I don't like the feel and, you know, it doesn't feel right. But I'm like, have you tried these other condoms? So a lot of people don't know about all the condoms there. Or have you tried a female condom? Or have you tried this? Have you, when you're giving head, have you tried putting on a condom and then putting toothpaste on the condom? giving them ideas, they don't get messages about safe sex. They just give them, oh, use a condom. But what? How am I supposed to use a condom? What if the condom doesn't feel right? What am I supposed to do? I think the messages we should be putting out there is safe sex, how to have safe sex. And the thing that kind of sucks is that a lot of people don't come out and talk about being positive, and if there were more people who came out and said, yes, I'm positive, and there was a different face, people would be like, these people all look normal. They all look healthy. I really do need to start using a condom. I really do need to get myself tested. So I feel like people should start coming out more and talking about their status and not hiding as much. Because I feel like in the community, there's more accepting people than we actually think. It's just about educating them. They're like, okay, that's cool. I just want to know what's up. What kind of work did you do before you were diagnosed with HIV? And then how did you get involved doing HIV work and prevention work with young folks? I started doing work around immigrant issues and farm workers' rights and youth rights and Latino rights 
And then, of course, I did queer stuff and got hooked up with organizations like the North Carolina Lambda Youth Network, El Centro Hispano in North Carolina. I was starting to do activism work from the get-go. As soon as I found out that I was positive, I pushed myself to like, be an, an activist. Because I wanted to do it, I was like, I got to educate my community. I got to like let people know what's going on. It was that time around, I remember watching The Real World when Pedro was on it, and I think he was kind of a, an influence on me, too, because I was like, he was positive, he was Latino, you know, he spoke about it. I can do that, too. How did you go from the other kinds of activism that you were doing, like immigrant rights and workers' rights and queer community stuff, into doing specifically HIV prevention um, work? Well, I think everything I did, there was an HIV-AIDS component to it, Working on immigrants' rights, they also needed to know about healthy relationships, safe sex, HIV, and AIDS. I talk a lot about if you're an immigrant, you can't get work. A lot of young people turn, or people even turn to commercial sex working. You need to talk to people about HIV and AIDS and how to protect yourself. It all comes in together. It all plays a role. Do you work for an organization now? Yes. It's called La Clinica del Pueblo, and it's a project called Empoderate, which stands for Empowerment. And it's an HIV-AIDS prevention program for queer Latino immigrant youth in the DMV, basically D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. But the way we do our stuff is it's really cool because we first talk about the issues that they're having because you have to talk about the issues before HIV and AIDS. So if you're an immigrant youth, I can't just be like, okay, I want you to protect yourself because that's not what they're worried about. I'm like, okay, what's making you not protect yourself? Are you working the streets or are you having unprotected sex with your partner because he doesn't like using condoms and, when, and he might beat you because, you know, you're asking him to use condoms because then he thinks he's cheating on you. So looking at those issues first and then starting to talk about HIV and how to protect yourself and how to stay HIV-free and how to put that into your relationship. So it's always talking about meeting them first where they're at and then slowly moving into HIV AIDS, talking about the risks. Can you tell me about an average day or an average night out at work for you? We're a drop-in center, so we have young people here. So I come in, I talk to my young people, I chill with them for a little bit. Then I work on what I have to do, if it's planning a health fair, if it's planning events. Every Thursday I have M groups, which are groups for young gay Latinos to come. I do a workshop, it could be a workshop. Like last week I did a workshop around self-esteem and how self-esteem looks among gay Latino youth. So preparing that, preparing our outreach events that go on throughout the week. So when we're at the club, we're handing out condoms, talking to your people about STDs, HIV, our resources that we have, getting them tested, running around throughout the city, meeting new young people, and then probably getting home late. I have young people always calling me, hey, this is what's going on, what can I do, or I'm having a bad day. So you take a lot of time to meet their needs. A lot of times, some young people might not know about the center or don't have time to come to the center, so we want for them to also get the information, and that's why myself and our peer educators are out there. We go to clubs, we go to the cruising parks, and right now that the summer's coming up, we're at the cruising parks all the time, and we talk and meet young people, and we let them know, hey, it's cool to cruise, do what you got to do, but be safe and stay STD, HIV free, and these are the ways you can do it. Oh, hey, let me teach you how to use like big with a condom on, because they don't have that information. So when we come back two or three weeks later, they're like, I tried that. What you told me how to put on a condom with my mouth, and it worked. Or I I used a female condom, and he liked it because he didn't have to put on a condom. He, he told me he felt free. You hear all this stuff that 
our, our peer educators are training, you know, t- talking to their community, and they're actually using it. So it's, it's cool to see that and to hear that. You said that you talked to guys about using female condoms. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I don't think that's something that a lot of people know about. I'm a big advocate for female condoms for bottoms just because it gives the, the bottom the opportunity to be empowered because a lot of times you're not empowered. And like I told, once the condom's in, you sometimes don't even have to bring the conversation about using a condom on because you already have a condom. So a lot of times people are just trying to bust a nut and... You know, that whole thing, oh, let's wear a condom. Oh, this is, you know, let me put it back on. Let me put the condom on. It takes time, and sometimes it takes the sexiness out of it, too. And all my young people say, you know, I had it in. And once they went in, they were, like, surprised. They were, like, what do you have? And I was, like, don't, you know, I have the condom on. And they were, like, oh, cool. Like, it's kind of, like, erotic because it's already there, and, you know, you don't even have to bring that conversation about a condom. Like, it's, like, bah, straight to the point. And you're being safe, and you're protecting that other person, too. So it's, like... That other person was like, wow, you know, I didn't know you can do this, and this feels good, and I want to do this again. What do you think are the biggest challenges that you face in your work? A lot of people are in survival mode, so sometimes talking about a condom, that person's not, it's like, whatever, you know? So find out new ways for people to negotiate safe sex, making the condom more sexy, more fun. Once again, if you're undocumented and you have a client who's going to pay you at least $200 more to have unprotected sex and you need that $200, you're going to take it because I've been in that situation. You're going to take it. So it's finding ways to be like, okay, so let's see how you can actually next time negotiate that sex or what can you do to make it more sexy and more erotic, including the condom. And then I think another thing is drugs too, hardcore drugs like crystal meth, ecstasy, and Gee, like I see a lot of young people out here starting to use crystal meth and other drugs, that, especially immigrants that have never been introduced to. And it's scary because once you're on hard drugs, you're not going to you know, want to use a condom or think about using condoms. So that's another important thing why I tell guys, too, is like if you're going to start partying and playing before you start PNPing, why don't you try on putting on the female condom because you can have it up in you for a good while. So at least that way, you know, you're lowering your risk. And I have had a couple of young people who say, yeah, that's what I do before I get high. I go ahead and I put it in, and I know I'm going to be all right. What would have to happen, do you think, in the world, not even in the world of HIV or HIV prevention, but just in general, or in the lives of the people that you work with, to make those kinds of challenges go away? One, of course, immigration reform. (laughs) Finding ways for young people and people who are undocumented to get documented so they don't have to put their lives at risk. Educating people about all the different kind of condoms there are. Sometimes they get used to what we hand them, that they really don't take the opportunity to go online or go out to the sex stores and actually find different condoms and try different condoms that might work for them. I think also the whole politics around HIV and AIDS um, has to change. I think a lot of people who are in the field are just in the field nowadays just because, you know, it's a good paycheck or it's a paycheck. And I think you really need to care about the people in the community and really care about the issue and not see it just as a job, because I know I don't. I see it as a a change that I'm trying to do in my community, a change that I want. And sometimes it's just about what organization is going to get the more money. People, organizations not collaborating with each other, not sharing information, and not really working as a community. And I feel that's what needs to happen. All the HIV AIDS organizations need to work as a community need to stop thinking about, oh, where the funding or who's, who's going to get the funding, because it's not about the funding. It's about 
what changes can we make? Because you don't need money to make changes sometimes. You can just do it on your own, like the way the civil rights movement and all the other kind of movements, they were really grassroots. The HIV movement is not really as grassroots. I'm like, no, 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 no. We need to be in the community. We need to be grassroots. Who cares about the money? Let's see what we can do. Do you feel like you had a moment or an event or a time really that you can identify where you were like, I'm an activist. This is my identity. This is me from now on. Yeah, I think my first Diego conference, they had a HIV AIDS conference, and I met so many Latinos that were positive and Latinos who worked in the HIV AIDS field. Um, and it was a conference they had in New York. And it was like, oh, my God, this is me. Like, I, all these people are doing what I want to do, and this is what I'm going to do but better, or I'm going to try to make it better, and I'm going to see how I can network. And every time I walk into the center, too, I'm like, damn, like, you know, I'm making change. It's going to be change. What do you think doing this kind of work has taught you? It's taught me to be able to work with multiple people in the community. It taught me a, a lot about, like, different organizations and how people actually run. A lot of medical terms, too, taught me how the HIV AIDS works when it comes to like treatment but it's, it also makes me a stronger person because it's all this information that I get a lot of people that I work with have masters in public health and bachelors and blah 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 and I'm like I have a high school diploma <laughs> and so all this information that I get it's like school for me you know I'm, I'm, I feel I'm like wow like I just learned something that maybe you have to go to school for where because I'm not a school person you have HIV, you work in HIV, you talk about HIV all day, every day, it seems like. Do you ever get sick and tired of it? Do you ever want, like, a break from HIV? Yeah. <laughs> of course, I think we all do. I just have that, I'm like, oh, you know, why this is going on. But I think it's brief moments, and then it's just whatever it goes on. Because it's so much part of me. If I do want to take a little vacation, it's just going away for a week, and then I'm back and rejuvenated and ready to go. I think what I get tired more is about the fakeness in the movement, the fake people, and not the collaborating, and how in the hell are we supposed to change anything if the people who are working in the field are acting right, are not doing what they're supposed to be doing, and more worried about image and funds than actually the community and the people that are helping it out in the community. So that takes me off. I get ticked off. Um, Especially when they cut funding or when they cut programs for people. I'm like, why are you doing that? We want to stop the spread of HIV, but yet you're cutting funding for people. You're cutting funding for projects and programs. In a way, I'm like, you're almost, it, they're doing it to us. Like, they don't want us to be educated about it. And I don't think that's right. What are your big hopes for the next generation of young gay men as they're facing HIV risk? And what are your fears for them? My hopes are that more young people are using condoms and more young people are talking about HIV and AIDS and are doing more things in the community to spread the word about HIV and AIDS and safer sex. My thing is media nowadays really is messing it up for young people. And when I say media, I mean, you can go to watch Shrek or anything, those, there's already messages about sex in it. Music, there's messages about sex in it. TV, there's messages about sex in it. Commercials, there's magazines. There's so much sex out there, but yet when you want to go into schools and talk about it, and they're like, oh, no, we're going to only preach abstinence. And I'm like, 
you're going to preach what? Are you not listening to the music? Are you not watching TV? Are you not watching, like, everything is sex, sex, sex. And I think people are throwing out so much sex that there's not messages about safe sex. Songs don't talk about safe sex. Songs don't talk about using condoms and how cool they are. It makes me mad because people don't want to talk about sex, but yet it's thrown at you that we're not having these conversations about having healthy sex. Because when I hear young people, they're like, yeah, you know, I had sex with her. And I was like, so well, how you know? Or him, and I was like, how was it? You know, did you like? So like, no, nah, I was just trying to bust a nut. I was like, and like, talk to all these people. I'm like, do you know what an orgasm is? Did you do this? Did you? Do... They don't even know how to like really have sex. And I talked to females. I'm like, was it pleasurable for you? Or gay guys are like, it was all right, but I don't really know what I was supposed to be looking for or feeling. And I'm like, that's not okay. <laughs> not being really intimate. Sometimes like being kissing. You know, it's just wham bam. Thank you, man. There's nothing else to it. I even talked to my young people, like, well, you guys use a condom? Like, no, nah, we didn't have one. I'm like, well, why didn't you guys masturbate together? No, nah, we can't do that. I'm like, what do you mean you can't do that? You can dip it in someone, but you can't masturbate together. That's not okay. It seems like there's not very much creativity just all around. There isn't. It's just like, go in, go out, and you're done. You know, it's not about when you're going to give someone head, why don't you use a dental dam, or why don't you use a condom, or... Why don't you use whipped cream, or why don't you use jelly, or why don't you put the uh, toothpaste on the condom when you give head? Because, you know, that's going to create fresh breath for you. It causes a warm sensation on the penis. Like, all that kind of stuff, like, things that people should know to have safe sex, it's not out there. We do workshops on how to have erotic safe sex here at the center. How old were you when you first realized you were gay? I think I was five or six. I was attracted to boys always, and always liked boys and felt butterflies in my stomach for boys. I always knew, I think, and then my first experience, of course, with my consent with the first guy, I was like, yeah, this is what I like. This is what I want. You know? How old were you then? 16. I had sex with a couple of females before that, too, because I was in that, like, let me see what, and I didn't like it. It's not because I was raped that I like boys, it's because I actually like boys. Sounds like you've known your whole life that you liked boys. But who was the first person that you actually told? That I was gay? I don't even know. I think my father, because he found me with one of his workers. He had a painting company. He found out about us. And so I think he was the first one that I said, yeah, I'm gay, too. And then I came out to my family. This was even before I was positive. So I was like 15 when I came out. So how did your father react when he found you with somebody that he worked with? He found out through a friend. And then he asked me, and I told him, yeah. And at that point, I was living with my dad. And he's like, put everything in the two trash bags. He's like, I'm taking you to my mom's. He's like, I'm not going to have no faggot as a son. He's like, she's going to have to deal with you, and I'm not going to deal with this. And he drove me up to North Carolina and dropped me off. And he lived in Herndon, Virginia at the time? Yeah, yeah. Was this the point at which you told your mom that you were gay? Yeah, I told her like a little while after. First I stayed quiet, and then I was like, okay, I'm gay. They weren't accepting, so at that time I also tried to commit suicide. So... Social services got involved. After that, I was in and out of group homes, and finally I went to one group home, Methodist Home for Children in Raleigh. was there for a year, graduated the program, and I just, I kind of really never went back to the house. Like, I just started living on my own. Because I was working, I found ways of supporting myself. Where were you working at the time? My first job was Kmart, and then Kids the Locker, Burger King, a whole bunch of different places. How have you learned to deal with homophobia, whether from other people in your life or from society in, in general? 
I hear homophobic remarks. It's just part of life. People are going to be like that, and I'm not going to let people get to me or let them push my buttons. It's not my fault they're ignorant. There's going to be ignorant people, and I feel sorry for ignorant people because it shouldn't be like that. I'm happy of who I am, and I keep on going. I'm not going to let something like that affect me because then they win if I let them hurt me. And I've been hurt enough in life that I don't need more people to hurt me, so if I hear comments, I'm just like... They're dumb, they're ignorant, and they're afraid. How do you think you went from being young and being suicidal and not having support and not having a family around like you might have wanted, Mm -hmm. being in a group home, to being this person who's sort of very strong and confident in who you are? I had good friends around me, and I think hearing other people's situations that are worse than mine, it's just, I'm like, why am I going to sit here and complain or be all down about it? There's no point. I feel like there's so much bad thing that go on that you have to be positive. You have to have your head up some kind of way, you know? I guess it's who I am, and I, I'm thankful for it because I see I have a lot of friends who are really down or depressed. That's not the person who I want to be, even though I've been through so much. I need to look at the positive things of life. Not look at the negative. If there's nothing positive, I'll make something positive out of it. Are there any parts or aspects of being gay or being part of queer community that inspire you or that give you strength? I've never been asked that question. (laughs) Um, Just the people that have been there for the movement, the positive things out of it inspire me. Also, I see more and more young people coming out, more comfortable with themselves, so I'm like, yay, finally, so that makes me happy. The other day I was at a school and we were doing testing and for the first time I met a female to male who was 17 and when I was in high school I was only one out that's really powerful of a, a young female to male trans person to be that young and to be out like that and I, I sat there with him for, and we just talked and I was like tell me your experience how has it been like what are you going through how do you feel are you supported I'm like wow so that really inspires me because more and more young people are coming out and now you see more young people coming out as trans as, at a younger age and that's that to me that's fucking cool because I would never thought of that. It sounds as if you've lived in a lot of different places. Can you draw a map of your life from this age to this age? I lived in this place from this age to this age. I lived in this place right up until when you moved to D.C. I was born here in D.C. Basically, I lived in Arlington too because I was in Arlington. So I was in middle school because I was at Thomas Jefferson middle school i think till i was in sixth grade and then we moved to north carolina so through sixth through twelfth grade i was in north carolina and then maybe two years after north carolina then i moved to albuquerque new mexico for four years that was till 2007 then i went to Salvador for six months then came here to dc and i plan on being here a little while I would love to live in Decatur, Georgia, or anywhere in Georgia, or Mississippi, because I love those areas. I like the South a lot. I feel like there's a lot of movement work to be done around HIV and AIDS and other movements like immigration and stuff. So I like to go where there's community and where there's change that needs to be seen. My ultimate dream is to live in El Salvador and do open a nonprofit and work around HIV AIDS, but also queer issues, housing issues, just like my own nonprofit. Is that where your family's from, El Salvador? My dad is from El Salvador, my mom is from Colombia. When did you go to El Salvador for the first time? 
Oh, I was young. The first time I remember, I went, my dad took us, and it was during the like the end of the Civil War in El Salvador. And I remember we he took us because he wanted us to see where he came from and why he came to the U.S. and how much they were suffering because you know there was a big civil war in El Salvador. So I remember going during that time and people were like just panicking. I remember him saying, "This is what you need to see. Now you know why I work so hard. Now you know why why I came to the U.S. Be grateful for what you have." I was young and it was traumatizing because all night you would hear like gunshot firing and then in the morning you would wake up and we would go to a mercado and you would see like dead bodies and the smell and you would still hear people shooting and it was it was it was interesting. And how old were you at that time? How old? I think it was like ten, eleven. And then you went back again a few years ago. Yeah, and I tend to go every year for a month or two. So I went back last year. I went two years before that. But I try to go as much as I can. It's like my happy place. It's not the U.S. It's not materialistic. It's not what are you wearing, who you hang out with, what kind of car you drive, how many bedrooms does your house have, how much money you make. It's community. It's people together. It's families together. It's families sitting at tables. It's families hearing conversations. It's, it's a lot what my family lost when they came to the U.S., um, and that was basically like how to be a family, you know. People go to work, but they also remember that once they're on work, there's family, and they have a break throughout the workday for an hour so they can go home and eat, and people are wanting to take information, and community is community. That just makes me feel so good. Do you work when you're there? Have you hooked up with other HIV organizations <coughs> yeah, or um, gay ones? or What's life like, basically, for HIV-positive people in El Salvador and for gay folks also? Are they open? No, they're not as open. Life, there is no life. It's very depressing because, of course, it's very machista. It's very homophobic. If you're HIV-positive, there's no resources. You can't get medicine. So that part is really down, but I'm like, okay, we can start changing that because change starts from communities. So I know there's, that there's work to be done. So I know that there's advocating to be done for HIV-positive people to get treatment or to get adequate services. But it's hard. It's not an easy life, being gay or being positive. It's slowly changing, but it's still not easy. What are the organizations like that you work with when you're there? Um, I've done things with Entre Amigos, but it's always really been on my own. I'll just pack my clothes and I'll pack suitcase, two suitcases full of condoms female condoms, lube, everything I need, and I just go out. My thing is, it's really grassroots. I'm about grassroots. I go out there and I take my little suitcase, and like I did last year, I went to La Zona Rosa, where all the prostitutes work, and I was like, hey, I'm here to educate you. Would you like some condoms and female condoms? And I'll give them to you if you just give me 30 minutes of your time to do a workshop and educate you on how to use these. And people are like, yeah, 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 go ahead. And everybody thought I was crazy, like, you know you're going into a war zone, you might get robbed, you might get killed. And I was like, yeah, whatever. I was like, if we don't hit these areas, these are the most affected areas, change is never going to be done. Yeah, there were people out on the streets and got kind of scared, but then I started talking to them, and they heard me, and they took the condoms, they were grateful, they were like, oh my God, we want these condoms. Talking to the commercial sex workers, educating them about female condoms. I wasn't afraid anymore. I was like, these people are actually taking information from me. And it was really cool because like, a couple of days later, the girls that I had who worked the, the stroll, who I talked to, we, we met up because I saw them at the park, and they're like, we should come in, have some coffee with us, and we're going to talk to you. 
you know, and I got to talk to them, so I'm like, I that's how you build community and that's how you build relationships. And at first people were like, yeah, you shouldn't go over there because, you know, it's a bad place. But then I'm like, look, I'm having coffee and talking to these females at the park about HIV and STDs and female condoms, and you guys never thought that was going to happen. They say never judge a book by its cover, and a lot of people do that. You were recently featured in a documentary film about HIV in D.C. called The Other City. Can you talk a little bit about that? How did you get involved in the film, and what do you hope will be the result of it being widely released and having some measure of recognition? I got involved because I met the director and the writers at a HIV AIDS working group here in D.C., and they had asked me and told me about it, and I was like, yeah, for sure. And um, I was excited. It was kind of a lot of work just because my schedule was really busy, so they were trying to catch up a lot of time with me, and, like, I was out in the community or in houses doing workshops. But it was a very cool experience. What I hope out of it is that, it, especially when it hits here in D.C., that the message gets across to people that there are people living with HIV and AIDS, that this it does exist and they need to be changed. Hopefully there'll be an increase in money for people who need help for getting medicines who need help getting housing. And just I think just for the ed- for the community to really see and I know it'll be an impact on them and it'll, it will make change. It will have people really talking about uh, HIV and AIDS, talking about getting tested, talking about the issues that people have who are living with the virus. And it'd be cool if you can get all over the U.S. so everybody can see it, because I feel it touches everywhere. Latin, even around the world, and I was talking to one of my friends, and he lives in London, he was like, do you think you can get a screen up here? And I was like, yeah, let me see how that could work. The way I want to use it is actually using it in community form, showing it in the community, and then having conversations about what they heard, what they learned, how they felt, and what changes they think we, should, we need to make. What's your health been like since your diagnosis? Have you ever been sick with anything HIV-related? Just the common things when I get a common cold or stuff like that. <laughs> it just takes a while. I'm not the healthiest person. You know, I try to eat right. I try to exercise, but I I know I need to be more more healthy. And sometimes I, if I even with my friends, like I worry so much about the community. I, I stop and I don't even really worry, I don't worry about myself. And I know that's a change I need to make, and eventually I'm going to make it. But I see everything that goes on, and I'm like, no, no, if there's nobody out there doing the work. Or or nobody out there talking to the community about this, I can take that sacrifice. I don't care because my community is very important to me. These young people that I work with are very important to me, and I don't want them to have to go through what I went through. It seems like you are aware of the fact that folks who do a lot of work for other people oftentimes don't take care of themselves very well. It's kind of like the activist syndrome. Folks are really, really focused on the community and not on taking care of their own do you have anything that you do just to take care of yourself? Yeah, I walk to work and I walk home from work. Because <laughs> that's my time. It's like an hour of time for me just to think about everything, to de-stress, and to just let things go and then just be fine. That and I go dancing. I like to dance. Yeah, those are some things I do. I don't. I, it's like I don't really do much, but my walking and dancing, that's the thing that helps me the most. Yeah, and it's good exercise too. Oh yeah, big time. <laughs> it helps you de-stress and it's good for your body. Are you on HIV meds now? No, I'm not. You're not. Have you um, ever been? I Yeah, in the beginning I went on a study trial and it didn't work with me. Um, it was too much. The medicines were like too much for me. I've been off medicines then and luckily I, my bio load, I had 84 count, has you know, been relatively good. 
Do you know what your CD4 count and viral load is now? CD4 is 536, and I don't know what my viral load is. Do you have a good relationship with your doctor? Do you have the same doctor all the time, or do you see different doctors, or how does that work? Uh, I have, yeah, my doctor's cool. I feel like medical providers are sometimes really boring. <laughs> I like the one I have now, but I haven't found one that I'm like, oh, yeah, they're so cool. You know, it's hard because medical providers, I feel like they're so professional, and they forget that when you are not someone like me, you speak all, like, very educated or, like, you've been to, like, five different schools and you, you forget about where you came from so sometimes they, I have been to medical providers where they just throw all this language at me and I'm like excuse me I don't know what the hell you just said can we take it back even yeah, at La Clinica yeah. the doctors are no are the like doctors are I mean like, here at La Clinica they're pretty good and I'm sure that like I think it's every medical provider sometimes are they're very the doctors so they act like doctors and sometimes I feel like doctors should act like who they are and also like doctors so you're a funny doctor, be a funny doctor. If you're a doctor who knows a lot about sex and then talk to your patients about sex. If you're a doctor who likes to crack jokes, talk, not being so serious, you know. Be more loose, that's what I would say. Can you compare how you feel about having HIV now to the time, to the feelings that you had when you very first learned that you were positive? I'm happier now about being positive. I'm more comfortable about being positive. Before, I was just more worried and I didn't know what my future was going to be like, but now I've lived almost 10 years with the virus, and it's like, okay, I can go another 20, 30. Of course, I do get afraid because, you know, after living so long with the virus, of course, something's going to come up. I might get sick. Those are my worries, but my, my thing is if, if I have survived this long, I could survive longer, you know. So, yeah, and I'm more comfortable about telling people that I'm positive. And even though I did it before, it was still kind of hard. Now it just comes out. Before it was like, yeah, I got to tell you something. But now it's like, when I meet guys, it's like, look, before this goes on or I meet people, you know, I'm like, you need to know I'm positive. Because either you're going to hear from someone in the community or it's going to get to you because I'm so open about it. How do you think HIV or having HIV has changed you? I don't know. People ask me that a lot. It's changed me because I want to get the word out more and educate people. It just makes me stronger, I think. What advice would you give someone who just found out that they're positive? That's funny because I just gave a positive result last week. I give them all the time. Um, my advice is do not let it beat you. The worriness and the scariness, don't let that affect you. You need to be the person that you were when you first went in and you found out you were positive, and you need to still be that person when you leave, except you just have something you have to deal with. I, people change a lot, and I'm like, don't change. Be who you were. Don't change your outlook on life. Don't change the dreams that you have on life. Because the only thing that just changes is you have a virus or you have some, what I call it, you have a friend with you now. And you got to deal with it. And I tell people just don't stress out about it. Just try not to look at the negative things, look at the positive things. And I know that's hard at first, but you really have to be strong and you can't let it beat you. Because if you let it beat you, it won and you lost. And my other thing is, what I tell all the people, and I, I think people are scared to tell people this, you knew what was up. You knew when you were having unprotected sex. And a lot of people know, everybody knows about HIV and AIDS. Everybody knows that you use a condom. The messages are out there. So my thing is, like, why are you crying now? You knew, again, there was risk when you have unprotected sex. Now you got to deal with the consequences. So be strong about it and own it. You have to own it. You can't be like, oh... 
oh, you know, all sad, and be like, okay, let me have my time, but just let it be a little short time and not all your life. Because it shouldn't be like that. It should be like, okay, I need to be strong, and I need to move forward. That seems like the perfect place to stop. Jose, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you so much for your amazing work, and good luck with it. Thank you. The opinions expressed by hosts or interviewees in this podcast do not constitute professional advice, should not be considered substitutes for professional services, and do not necessarily represent the opinions of Body Health Resources Corporation or its sponsors. Please see the full disclaimer online at thebody.com. If you have comments or questions, please contact us. Thanks for listening to This Positive Life. For more podcasts and other first-person stories, please visit us online at thebody.com. If you'd like to share your story, please email us at podcast at thebody.com.